0: Okay, please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and before we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, just a very brief recap to what we looked at yesterday concerning the gifts of the spirits, and uh, there's one verse which gets mangled and quoted time after time, it would be Hebrews thirteen eight. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, and today, and forever. But of course you know that Christ is no longer a baby, Christ is no longer on the cross, Christ is no longer in Jerusalem. Christ has gone back to heaven. So that piece of scripture is simply concerning his immutable attributes. He never changes in the sense that he is now our eternal high priest, who is interceding for us. And like the Holy Ghost, he is our person to go to in needs of problems and issues or weaknesses and so on and so forth. And your charismatic to have you believe that what we read of in the scriptures is still applicable for today. I wish it was. And some of these healers think that they can heal you of anything and yet, I've seen some of these healers over the years that wear glasses, and yet they think they can heal you. Well, how about healing yourself? How about uh, taking that uh, walking stick away? The truth of the matter is that the apostles, the Jews, and they were sent to the house of Israel, because the Jews, first of all, are the Lord's people, and secondly, the Jews are entitled to a sign. Once the Jews died, the Gentiles were placed, the Jewish remnants, and uh, we are now in the church age, and most of the body of Christ for today a Gentile, and therefore the signed gifts died with the Apostles. So you come across healers, if you come across such people that uh, do street work, that claim to be able to do healing, so on and so forth, you dealing with hucksters, conmen, and also deceive people. But today I want to cover a slightly uh, sensitive subject, and I was asked to do this a couple of weeks ago, from a sister in the Lord who has been experiencing some difficult times, And uh, she asked me to speak on domestic violence. And she said to me, do you have anything on domestic violence? I said, no, I don't think so. Not from memory. So I said to her, when we get to London, I will put some time aside and uh, try and get some verses to see what the scripture tells us. Just a bit of background to this person's case. I won't name her, of course. And she's aware that I'm going to be doing this message this morning. So there's no breach of confidentiality. But uh, this lady got saved a few years ago. And uh, she married a man who... Wasn't saved, she wasn't saved, she got saved, he isn't saved, and they got a child together. But the marriage broke down, maybe 24 months ago or so, and uh, what she was sharing with us, she was experiencing some awful domestic violence, physical abuse, mental abuse, and even the child was experiencing some of the abuse from the father. About uh, three or four months ago, she sent me a text saying it got pretty bad, and he was beating her, and I was concerned for her welfare, so I said to her, pack your bags and get out of the house. Which she did, went to her mother's house. She was there for a few days. As always, things calmed down. She was wooed back to the family home by the husband. Back she went, and it kicked off again. And uh, some good people stepped forward, good brethren, and uh, took her into the home. And uh, she was there for some weeks until he eventually left the family home and uh, went back to his native country. Without going into too much detail, what I want to do this morning is just look at the scriptures dealing with this whole subject of domestic violence in a Christian. Because she is saved, she's a new Christian, and yet she was being advised by so-called Christian friends to stay put. She was told to stay put and take a beating, literally. Uh, she was told to stay put with her son and put up with this man's, uh, behavior, his narcissist uh, attitude towards her, and I was concerned for her, and I actually said to her, he's gonna kill you. If you're not careful, that's how concerned I was. Anyway, praise the Lord. She's gone back to the house, as I say, and things are settled down. So that's the good news. But the negative news was what she was being advised to do, to stay put. And I said to her, and I'm going to repeat myself now, that some Christians are stupid. Stupid and completely unsympathetic. And she had a family member who was a pastor. And uh, the more I was hearing from her, the more I was getting uh, grieved for her. And the more she was telling me about the lack of interest from organized religion, the more thankful I was that I'm no longer in organized religion. I'll tell you something, until such an event like this comes your way, you have no idea who your friends are. All her Christian friends, all her church friends, turned their backs on her. It fell to a couple who had only known her for a short period of time to open their doors to her and her son. And thank the Lord for such a good couple. The scripture that she was referred to was 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And the argument went along the lines of this, that... Sister such and such, you shouldn't be going to the police concerning your abusive husband, because according to this group of people, First Corinthians chapter six prohibits a sister in the Lord who is experiencing abuse from going to the secular authorities. And when she told me this, I wasn't sure whether to laugh or cry. First Corinthians chapter six, verse one: Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to the law before the unjust and not before the saints? First Corinthians was written to the Corinthians, and a very carnal church. They had come from a carnal background. They had been wicked pagans. And they were very much into the gifts of the spirit. Very much into tongues. Very much into prophecy. Like uh, people I meet on the streets on a regular basis. And therefore Paul is going to write to this crowd of people. And he starts off by saying to them. How dare you having a matter against another. Save people against save people. Keep that clear. Go to law, magistrates, before the unjust, unsaved, and not before the saints. And some people can't even read English. Because this crowd of people were saying to this sister, say five or six years with a young child, around six years of age, to stay put in her marriage and put up with domestic violence, and maybe even worse. And such imbeciles were citing this piece of scripture as evidence, as proof, for justification for this woman staying put. But the first verse tells you, "'Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to the law before the unjust and not before the saints.'" The whole context is Christians suing Christians. Not a saved person going to the civil authorities concerning an unsaved person. Do you not know that the saints should judge the world, and the world shall be judged of you? Are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Don't you know that the saints, the redeemed, should judge the world, like for the millennial kingdom, of course, and the world shall be judged of you or by you? Are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Can't you deal with this in-house? Can't you put up a wrong Three, no you're not, that we should judge angels. How much more things that pertain to this life? There's a far greater picture in scripture concerning what we're going to do when we die. Getting saved is wonderful, but when we go into eternity, when we go into the millennial kingdom, if we are faithful after we got saved, we're going to judge angels, fallen angels. If then you have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are the least esteemed in the church. If you have judgments, if you have matters of things pertaining to this life, everyday issues, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that should be able to judge between his brethren. You can't miss it. Brethren, the just, the unjust, save people, going to the magistrates, suing, save people in a legal situation. And some years ago, I found myself taken a garage, or as Americans would say, garage, to court, because I had a mechanic work on my car, and he botched it. And without going into too much detail, he put the fuel into the water tank, and from memory, it uh, could have been pretty dangerous. And I went back to the garage, or the garage, and I said to the mechanic, you've made a mistake here. Put it right, please. And they refused to put it right. So I said, OK, then. And I went back home, and I consulted a friend of mine, a retired mechanic, and I said to him, what do you make of this? and I wasn't saved at the time well actually I was saved but not very long saved I should say he wasn't saved this chap and I said to this friend of mine what do you make of this and he said oh blankety blank this and blank about that typical Irishman cusser blasphemer the Irish are the worst when it comes to blasphemy just filthy and I used to pull him up for blaspheming and for using four letter words but I won't go down that line now and I said to him what do you think about this you know this damage i done to my car and he said to me take it to a specialist dealership and get it fixed which is what I did it cost me a lot of money by the way to do that in the meantime I was very annoyed that they hadn't put my car right. Now, I'm a saved man, and I'm dealing with an unsaved group of people, okay? This scripture doesn't, doesn't refer to my case whatsoever, and yet, concerning this crowd in this lady's country, it may well have been applicable to my situation, it's not a course. And I went to my local courts, and I got papers uh, issued, and I sued this garage, this dealership, took them to court. I'm a saved man, saved a few months still knew in the faith, didn't really want to have to do this but I was really annoyed that they had botched up my car and uh, my car was used for transporting my family around. I thought you know what if I die that's okay I'm saved but my family aren't saved. So I took them to court and uh, on the day that the court date arrived, we all arrived in court obviously and uh, I put my case for the judge then they put their case for the judge and the judge reprimanded me because I wasn't well organized why would I be I'm not a lawyer and the court reprimanded the dealership because they weren't particularly well organized so the judge said to myself and this uh, lawyer for the, for the garage the garage go into a side room and sort the out yourselves because you know you haven't prepared yourself properly so off went into the side room with this man and the first thing I said to him was I'm a Christian I don't know why I said that but I did I'm a Christian I don't want to be here but I've got to be here because you guys made a mistake so on and so forth anyway we set out of court and he paid some of my damages, not as much as I paid out, I should say, but he paid some of my damages. Now, the point is this. I had the right, as a saved man, to take a non-Christian group, fellowship, unsaved people, the unjust people, into a courtroom. That was my prerogative, that was my right, as an English uh, citizen. I stand by it to this day, and I put them in a courtroom, I had my day in court, and hopefully they will think twice next time they work on someone's car. But these verses are speaking about Two saved people Going into a magistrate's Courtroom standing for a judge And suing each other When they should be Dealing with this In their local fellowship Or between Other brethren Matthew 18 If your brother sins against you Go to him If you repents, You've got your brother back If he doesn't repent Take two or three with you If he doesn't need the two or three Take the whole church And then you run into the church Put him out That's what you should be doing And this poor sister Saved only a few years Was expected to Stay put Take a beating And potentially be put to death By her vicious husband crazy six but brother goeth to law with brother and that before the unbelievers don't wash your dirty laundry in public the shame of this two saved people are going to sec the courtroom they can't deal with this in their local assembly their local fellowship it's a disgrace that's what the context is here nothing to do with a saved couple or a saved party i should say marrying an unsaved person now therefore there's utterly a fault among you because ye go to law one with another why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourself to be defrauded? Just take it on the chin. If I was to wrong a brother in the Lord or a sister in the Lord, I'd bend over backwards to try and fix that wrong. I can't imagine for the life of me taking a brother to court over any issue or a sister. Nay, you do wrong and defraud and that's your brethren. You can't miss it, can The context is brothers and sisters, say people, suing each other in a secular courtroom. It has nothing to do whatsoever with marital affairs between one saved party and an unsaved party. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminates, nor abuse themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revellers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. You've got a picture here of saved people getting involved in sins, founding. Clearly in verse 9 and 10, who don't repent of those sins and therefore lose their millennial inheritance. The other view on these verses, which is held by most Christians, is that this is speaking about salvation. And yet, if it's speaking about salvation, there are some sins which are not found here. These are fleshly sins for the most part. Fornication, idolatry, adultery, effeminate, abuse themselves of mankind, drunkards, revelers, so on and so forth. These are fleshly sins which the Corinthians were guilty of. This is a picture, as far as I can see, of a loss of one's millennial inheritance. If you live after the flesh, you will die. So these verses were cited, put to this sister in the Lord, as justification that she couldn't go to the law, she couldn't find the police, she was to stay put. And I was shocked to hear this, and I was even more shocked when she told me that her brother-in-law is a pastor, who wouldn't open his doors to her and her young child, wouldn't go to the court with her, wouldn't support her, 'Cause he thought she was in violation of first Corinthians chapter six, and yet that moron couldn't even read the scriptures, and I will call him a moron because he is Matthew eighteen, verse one. And at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a a child unto him and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, except to be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Humble yourself, you want to be saved? Humble yourself. Some of these church people that are very good at giving out advice to people like this sister in question are arrogant. They're puffed up. And I speak about the charismatics sometimes, but more often I speak about the Calvinists. I guess I've got more of an interest in Calvinism, and I sometimes take the Calvinists on. But this particular sister was affiliated with the charismatic movement, and uh, they are just as uh, unfriendly, unloving as uh, some of the Calvinists can be. For here you are told from Matthew eighteen Verily I say unto you, accept to be converted, change your mind, humble yourself, turn from unbelief to belief, and become, as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. And yet first Corinthians fourteen ten Brethren, be not children in understanding, like this crowd, dealing with our poor sister in the Lord. How it a malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Be true men, step up to the mark, know the scriptures, defend your women. Don't leave your women to be beaten by unsaved people. Matthew 18.4 Whosoever therefore shall humble himself, as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And this child from memory, I think, was maybe one of Peter's children. But you can't miss it. A child has been brought into the equation. A child is receptive to the things of the Lord. A child doesn't have a lot of baggage, isn't particularly arrogant, isn't puffed up, isn't uh, full of pride, so on and so forth. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. Every time somebody receives the gospel, they receive Christ. And every time somebody rejects the gospel, they reject Christ. Look at verse 6. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. This sister married an unsaved man, got saved after marrying this unsaved man. She has grown at a rate in the Lord and he's watched her for several years, and he hasn't got saved. On top of abusing her, he's also abused their child. And here the word of God tells me quite clearly, and you can't miss it. But whoso should offend one of these little ones which believe in me, like this sister in the Lord, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. That's Jesus Christ speaking. He's saying, if you mess, if you harm, if you afflict one of my children perpetually, it were better for you that you were drowned in the depth of the sea. That's what Jesus Christ thinks of someone who treats one of his children with contempt. We as Bible believers are not doormats. Yes, we turn the other cheek. Of course we do. And we don't argue back with people in the streets. We don't get into fisticuffs with people in the streets. We walk away from situations. And I've had many events over the last several years when people have tried to trip me up. And I've had to keep my mouth shut. Because I have got a bit of a short fuse. You wouldn't think so, but I have. And I don't want to get into fisticuffs with people in the streets. And every so often my old nature comes up and I start to argue back with people. And that's a disservice that I'm guilty of, and I would accept that. But when someone treats me with contempt, as a as a frontline Christian, or as a sister in the Lord, or even a sister in the Lord, treating a husband who's saved with contempt, it goes both ways. Domestic violence goes both ways. It's not just men beating up women. Women beat up men as well. And sometimes saved women can beat their husbands up, who are saved as well. But well into the world, because of offences... For it must needs be that offences come. But woe to that man by whom the offence cometh. This individual, as I say, has <coughs> left the family home, praise the Lord, and they are currently separated. And I'm pleased for that. And uh, last I heard from this sister, she's doing okay. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, please. But when you come across people who think they know best, like Job's friends, they do more harm than good. First Corinthians chapter 7. Take a look, if you will, at verse 10, please. And unto the married, I command, yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. Paul is now going to deal with what happens when a couple's relationship breaks down. And unto the married, I command, yet not I but the Lord. This comes straight from Jesus Christ. Let not the wife depart from her husband. Don't divorce your husband. That's the whole context here, departing. But, and if she depart. Let her remain unmarried. Remain unmarried, separated, so on and so forth. Or be reconciled to a husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. I remember some years ago, speaking to a brother, who had been a criminal for many years, and he got saved in jail, and he had a wife and two children. And uh, the first thing he tried to do was to be reconciled to his wife and two children. His relationship with his children wasn't too bad, thankfully. But his relationship to his wife was kaput. She'd seen too much, she put up too much, and he couldn't be reconciled to his wife. And the marriage broke down, and he never really got over that. But he said to me, he said, uh, The divorce that uh, affected my children was equivalent to child abuse. It was all the children, they were very young, and uh, the kids never got over it really, nor did he. Although his relationship with his, pe- with his children, I should say, wasn't too bad, praise the Lord, but his wife never forgave him. 13. And a woman which hath a husband, that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, Let her not leave him. That's the ideal choice. You get saved late in life. You may have a husband or a wife. You may have some children. If the husband doesn't believe, but is happy to stay in the family home, stay put. I knew a couple of brothers who had a DVD ministry, and they both got saved later in life. And they were both married to different women, of course. But the women, their wives, were not believers. One was a Catholic. One was, I think, agnostic. And these two brothers tried to keep the marriage going but eventually the marriage, or both marriages, broke down. And these two brothers moved to one side of the UK, to the other side of the UK, to continue their ministry. That's pretty sad. The unbelieving husband, verse 14, is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else we are children unclean, but now are they holy. This is the grace of God. The couple get together, they have children. And down the line, one gets saved. The other stays unsaved. To stop the saved party from becoming defiled... To keep the children clean, this goes back to the Old Testament, by the way, from Leviticus, the Lord gives a special blessing to the believing spouse so that when they come together for marital affairs, they don't become defiled. On top of that, the children, may not be old enough to be saved, are also preserved. So the children are declared holy in the eyes of the Lord, not saved, as some people have you believe, but they are declared holy, along with the unbelieving party, to stop the believing party... From becoming defiled. 15. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. This sister wanted him to leave, and he left the sister. This sister wanted a break from her husband, and she got the break. She's not ready for divorce, and that's fine. No one's talking about divorce. At the moment, we're talking about separation. We're talking about a time of healing. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? You can stay put in a marriage with an unsaved partner, an unsaved spouse, and hope for the best. And you can pray for that person to be saved, and maybe that'll happen. But it might not happen. So what is Paul telling us here? He's saying, if you can stay put in a marriage with your unsaved husband, your unsaved wife, stay put. On top of staying put, your unsaved husband, your unsaved wife, is declared holy because you are holy. On top of that, your children, if they're not yet saved, are declared holy because you are holy. That's a great picture of Grace. thirty-nine. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she's at liberty to be married to whom she will. Only in the Lord. So here's the ideal situation as I see it. A relationship breaks down, it can't be reconciled. The guilty party leaves the marriage and he says to the innocent party, I want a divorce. I bet someone else. Okay, let him go or let her go. My view is this, and I think the scripture supports this. The innocent party shouldn't be punished. Because of the guilty party stepping out on them. It could be adultery. In fact Matthew 19 says if you commit fornication in your marriage. You are entitled to a divorce. Never forget that. But I say this to people. Let the guilty party sue you. Let the guilty party take you to court and file for divorce. Let him divorce you. Let her divorce him. I don't think a Christian should be taken upon themselves to sue in court. Divorce in court. The guilty party. It may have to happen sometimes. And if it does, got to give you grace for it. But reconciliation has to be the key. And this sister should be praying and fasting for reconciliation. Not just for herself, for the child. This brother got saved in jail, tried to reconcile. The marriage couldn't happen, didn't happen. It was beyond repair. His children suffered. And as he put it to me, it was the equivalent of child abuse. And I'll close in First Timothy, chapter 5. And I said to this sister, I said, well, I'll tell you something. According to first uh, Timothy chapter five, if you don't get out of that family home, if you don't take care of yourself, if you don't take care of your child first Timothy chapter five verse eight, but if any provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than infidel and I said to this sister, because you are now a single parent temporarily, you are providing for your house and here this verse although it would be historically aimed at a man going out to work to support his wife and children. I would apply it to her spiritually because this, I think, would be uh, in reference to her situation. She is expected to provide for her own house, physically and also spiritually. Take care of herself and her child. If you stay in the marriage, if you stay in the family home, you risk being killed, the child risks being killed, and therefore what good can come from that? But if any, provide not for his own or her own, this sister's case, and especially for those of his or her own house, like her child, he hath, she hath, denied the faith, and is worse than infidel. You're worse than an unsaved person. And I gave the scripture to this sister, and I said to her, what you've done is to be commended for, you, know, you should be commended for what you've done, you've done the right thing. You got out, you got your child out, you took sanctuary with a good, safe family. They looked after you for that period of time. Now let's pray that he will leave, the family home, which he did. Let's pray he stays out of your life, which so far he has done. But to be fair, she needs to start praying for him and for her child to forgive him as well because the child has been severely scarred by what he's seen and experienced. And this is the problem when you get saved later in life. So these verses that you've been able to read along with this morning, I think make it very clear that you have liberty in the Lord. If you can stay put, stay put. But if you stay put, you risk further damaging yourself, your children's welfare. But if you depart, if you can't put up with any more, you're not in the wrong, you haven't sinned, Uh, you're going to find separation for a period of time. And if you can, allow the guilty party to sue you. And if the marriage breaks down, and if a divorce comes, I have no problem teaching that the innocent party is entitled to remarry, especially if they have children. I can't fathom for the life of me, somebody Being divorced with maybe a child, two children, three children, in their 30s, expected to be single for the next 50 years and raise their children on their own. I don't understand that at all. That's my view. Some people don't agree with me on that. Some people think when a marriage breaks down, you you have to remain unmarried until you die. That's not my view. If somebody departs from you, if someone deserts you, if someone's been unfaithful to you, like Matthew 19 with adultery, fornication, so on and so forth, then let them go. You are innocent. And as Paul told you, you are called unto peace.